and welcome to the Seeing Deep podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. All this month, we are discussing seeing God's gift to us during the Christmas season and all year through in His Word. We can take things for granted, but if we take for granted God's gifts, we live less abundant lives. Back with me today is David Fienzi to help us explore and discuss his latest book, Here Today, Compassion and Grace in the Parables of Jesus. David has a passion for teaching and preaching the Bible and for thinking about and articulating theological ideas. After graduating from Duke University with a PhD in New Testament and Second Temple Judaism, David Fancy taught for seven years at Kentucky Christian University. He then served a two-year tenure in Tübingen, Germany, and served as a pastor for six years before resuming teaching at Kentucky Christian University. He has participated in seven archaeological excavations and surveys and has otherwise traveled widely in the Mediterranean area and the Middle East. Now semi-retired, David serves as a speaker and consultant for churches and colleges and is involved in several writing and research projects. David and his wife, Molly, have two daughters and three grandchildren. Welcome back, David. Thank you, Denise. Good to be back with you. Oh, I'm just, I'm loving just hearing about this. And I really am praying that as people are listening to last week's episode and this week's, that God will give aha moments, as you described, to each one that they need to hear. The scripture for this episode is taken from Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This scripture brings out the significance of our need to not miss what Jesus has to say. When we hear and understand, our faith grows. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to hear and understand God's word. David, what do we need to hear from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Yes, right. So uh, again, just to briefly summarize it for those of us who might maybe haven't read it or we read it a while back and Forget some of the details. So uh, Jesus starts out in the story, says two went up to pray. Uh, Up, meaning they went up to the temple court area, not inside the holy place or not inside the court of Israel, maybe, but to the court of Gentiles. They went up to pray. Uh, The temple is on a on a hill. So that's why they went up. Uh, One is a Pharisee. One was a tax collector. Now here, uh, Christians need to um, to rethink their idea of Pharisees. Pharisees were not bad people. Jesus rebuked some Pharisees for being hypocritical, but they weren't all hypocritical. I mean, you've got hypocrites in the church you attend, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and sometimes a preacher needs to rebuke them, but that doesn't mean everybody in your church is a hypocrite. Mm. No, the Pharisees were, they were pious, devout followers of the Old Testament law. And they were the most popular of the Jewish uh, sects of the, of the interpretations of the law. The people loved the Pharisees, so that, uh, they can't have been all bad. There were about 6,000 Pharisees, we learned from Josephus. <clears throat> so yeah, they're not all 6,000 hypocrites. There, certainly there were some. There are hypocrites everywhere, but, and they had their share. But they're not all. So we don't want to think of the Pharisee as a hypocrite and so forth. He is a very devout, pious man. And the mm. parable doesn't even work if we don't grant that. Mm. Because the more pious you are and the more devout, the more susceptible you are to the problem Jesus is highlighting here. And that is pride. Yes. Pride is not as tempting <clears throat> when you are 
a scumbag. But as you grow morally, you begin to be pretty proud of what you are. So it's it, that's that's the point. So it's all about pride. The tax collector knew who he was. He's a he's a bad guy. Now a lot of bad guys can't admit it that they are, but this guy could. I mean, he's honest about it. He won't even as he's praying. He won't even raise his eyes toward heaven. He just pounds himself on the chest and say, oh, God, I know I'm bad. I know I'm terrible. Have mercy on me. The Pharisees <clears throat> congratulate God for having such a great person uh, as him following God. I mean, so God, you're to be congratulated because you have me as your follower. That's pretty arrogant. Uh, we think we would never say that, but uh, I don't know about that. Uh, some, some of us begin to think we are, we are a gift to God rather than God being a gift to us. So that's the point. Um, pride is a competitive thing. So the Pharisee mm. compares himself to the tax collector. He says, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy. Look at him. Look at that guy. He's terrible. He's a crook. He's a thief. I'm not that. I tithe. I live a moral life. I fast twice a week. And I'm sure he did all that. And those are good things. That'd be like somebody saying, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like that that thief in the prison doing two years for robbery. I go to church every Sunday. I give a tithe. I've got a good attendance pen for Sunday school. I read my Bible every night. That's like the, that's the, that's what the Pharisee is. But if you're comparing yourself to somebody else and feeling good about that, that's the sin of pride. It's competitive. I'm better than somebody else. Secondly, pride is kind of tricky because the, the better we get, the more we are tempted to be proud. There's a great little story about a, a, a little class, a, a grade school class. And at the end of the year, the teacher wanted to give out a ribbon for all the outstanding kids. So there was a ribbon for Beth's math student, Beth's spelling student. But this year she wanted to add one. I want to give an award for the most humble. Well, the humblest kid, and no doubt about who it was. It was little Billy. Humble kid. So she gave out the two awards uh, to the best math, best speller. And then little Billy came up and got his award. And the next day she took the, the ribbon away from Billy because he wore it to school. In other words, <laughs> he bragged on his humility. Mm -hmm. If you're doing that, you're not humble, right? It's a very tricky thing. Uh, the more pious we become, the more devout, the more we are tempted toward Pride. That's why C.S. Lewis called pride the sin, the mm -hmm. ultimate sin from which most, if not all the others, come. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the original sin of the devil, the original sin of Adam and Eve. They saw that the fruit would make them wise like God. So it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty insidious because you can be, you can think you're really advancing as a Christian and you become proud of that. And oh, you know, you're just you're back to square one. <laughs> mm. It's tricky. <clears throat> and then uh, pride, uh, pride is also kind of self-worship. The Pharisee doesn't actually pray to God. It, uh, Jesus says he prayed toward himself. Uh, he's saying, God, that's so good that I am like I am. He's not really praising God. He's bragging on himself to God. Uh, so it's the sin of pride. And the point is the Pharisee was a really good person.
And in the church, there are really good people who can become eaten up with pride. It's a very tricky, insidious kind of thing. Wow, that is like uh, you just get to think you've gotten somewhere and you're (laughs) all victim to that one. That is so good. And I think it comes from forgetting that our righteousness isn't ours. (laughs) It's Christ's righteousness, you know, uh, that has been given to us. And so if we could just stay at that place. Uh, recognizing right. anything good in us is only Christ. But I, I think the natural is to drift to this, wow, huh, you know, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, wow, look at God. Look at what he's doing with this, what I am apart from him, uh, and staying in that place of beautiful humility. Um, I love that. I love your insight into that. Um, the parable of the weeds is also, it's such a vivid picture of what the troubles of this world can do to faith. I know in my ministry, I will talk with people and in their mind. So this is sort of the opposite of what we were just talking about, where people have a self-righteousness, people have a self-denigration, where the, the problems of this world cause them to give into these negative mindsets and they, it causes them to doubt God's word to doubt their faith. Um, So what do we need to hear in our time period today about this parable? The parable of the weeds or tears. Yeah. So in the story, um, a guy plants his field with wheat, but his enemy comes in the night and throws out seeds of weeds, tears, Um, And the tares grow looking a lot like the wheat. Uh, If you're, you know, really good farmer, you can kind of pick out the difference, but it's best seen when the harvest is ripe. You can tell which is which. You don't want the weeds mixed in with your wheat. It'll make the, it'll spoil the bread and so forth. So Jesus is, that's, that's the kingdom. It's got both wheat and weeds in it. Um, and so when we think of that, so the, of course, the kingdom is bigger than the church. The kingdom of God is forever. The kingdom of God is, is even in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel talks about the kingdom of God, but the church is the visible manifestation of the kingdom at this point. Uh, so when you think about the church, you think, uh, so there are weeds out there. There are people and it's hard to tell that they are not wheat. It's hard to pick them out. Um, and so when you begin to think that, all kinds of examples come out. As you said, I had a six-year pastoral ministry, and I guess a pastoral ministry will help you grow up faster than anything because <laughs> you encounter mm-hmm. all kinds of people in the church mm-hmm. at all levels of spirituality and lack thereof. So I I think I tell a story in there. Uh, None of my stories from my ministry are actually the way they happened because I don't want anybody to recognize themselves. Every story is a composite. So nobody's going to recognize uh, themselves in the story and nobody who knows them will recognize them. Um, Even though I don't use a name, you know, I don't want somebody to just feel mortified at finding. So, they're composites of two or three different characters and two or three different stories. But I do tell the story about a lady who before surgery confessed uh, to me 
Uh, she, she asked her husband to sit, and she never told her husband. She asked the nurse to leave the room, and she confessed to me she had been uh, abused as a child. Uh, then it gets even worse than that. The one who abused her is now trying to abuse two of her children. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't ask who it was, but she volunteered, and it was a guy I knew well. He was in a in another church, supposed to have, you know, be one of their outstanding deacons and leaders. And I was just shocked that that kind of guy would claim to be a leader, spiritual leader, who was abusing children. Mm. Uh, that's the weeds. You you can't always pick them out. I mean, they the weeds seem like they're wheat uh, until the, the harvest, which is the day of judgment. So, I mean... That's the way the church is. The church has people in it who feel like they're entitled to have a double life. Ordinary morality is okay for other people, but not for them. They're entitled to a dark side. They're entitled to a second kind of life where they do what they want. And it might be abusing children. It might be abusing women. It might be embezzling funds. Who knows what? They think they're entitled to that. And they can still play the role of devout Christian. I don't understand the motivation. I, I guess they play the Christian for the for the approval of their family or business or whatever, but they they feel like they're entitled to have a double life. Um, mm. And there's a dark side to that. And this is, a, I mean, this is what I didn't expect uh, <clears throat> in the church. Um, I expected everybody, who, if you went to church, you're you're committed to it, right? But there are people who attend who are not. Uh, Augustine famously said, uh, this is in his work, The City of God. He said, there are wolves within. Mm. And he meant that. Within the church, there are wolves. Be careful. That's that's what Jesus' parable is all about. Yes. In the weeds, there are wolves within. Uh, uh, so, I mean, I, it's an eye-opener. Yeah, I think we we tend to be shocked, as you said, you know, just shocked because we just don't expect that. But I believe that part of the cause of that in an individual is a seared conscience. It's when people um, participate in things and they they're sorry, but it's not a genuine repentance. And and I uh, unfortunately have firsthand experience with that. Um, with my ex-husband who did harm some of my children and was a leader in the church. And it just doesn't seem possible. But this is what happens when we compromise, when people are saying they're, they're part of a Christian culture, but they aren't really living out the truth of God's word. And so um, we have to be diligent to watch for the fruit in people's lives, not as a as we're standing in judgment of others, but I believe God gives us discernment um, to protect the flock, you know, and it, it is so challenging. Um, you're absolutely right in that. You're absolutely right. When Jesus says, <clears throat> do not judge lest ye be judged, a couple of verses later, he says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. You'll know them by their fruit. So he yes. says both. And, and as you've said, you have to you have to watch the fruit. You have to protect people, especially children. I mean, they yes. can't protect themselves. 
And uh, but I think we should protect everybody. But there are so you're you're more equipped than I even to explain this. But there are people who seek the approval of others uh, for being Christians, but they are not in their heart and they don't repent. I think repentance is the key. They feel mm-hmm. sorry if they're caught. They feel embarrassed if they're caught. But yes. They repent of the of the sin. Yes. Yep. So, so, so true. Well, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan is so needed across the world culture today. I've seen videos of children run over by a car in China and no one cares to check on the child or even grown adults hit by a vehicle and people just walk on past, Uh, not to mention abortion and just all the things that go across all the evil Every day, we've lost our sense of compassion and humanity. I think we just hear about it so much, we grow numb. So I think this is part of what we probably need to hear in the Good Samaritan parable. But what do you think we need to hear today from this parable? Yeah, so, I mean, we should uh, think about the Good Samaritan. He's a model. But before that, we have the bandits, who I call Mm. the haters, Mm. Uh, the banditry in the ancient world was mostly young males, uh, young men between ages of, say, 15 and 30. Uh, females almost never joined the bandit gangs and older men almost never did. But they're, they're young males and <clears throat> they want a little adventure, get out of the house like the prodigal son, get out of the confines of their uh, village. And they joined these gangs and the gangs taught them to hate the way people go online today and are taught to hate. So it's the haters. There are just people out there who hate. Um, In the book, uh, I list some examples of haters, the people that go into synagogues and churches and shoot it up. Uh, The Sri Lanka Easter, when they had all these bombs go off in the churches on Sri Lanka, killing like 350 people just out of hatred. Uh, people that go into uh, uh, shopping malls and shoot it up just because they're just full of venom. And, and where do they get this? Well, I mean, somebody has to teach them that. Uh, so it's the haters. Uh, and I mm. try to ask, what makes a person a hater? You have to learn that. For some people, it feels good to be angry all the time about something, but that's not the Christian way. Mm. Um it might be the way of your your group, your online group, but that's not the Christian way. So mm-hmm. the haters uh, are one group to think about. Second group is the heartless. Two guys walked right past this poor guy. That's the kind of thing you're th- thinking about where people drive past children. And you mentioned abortion. People who will abort innocent, defenseless little babies because they're an inconvenience. That's just absolute heartlessness. Uh, and again you can't overlook somebody's suffering that's not the way of christ that's not being a christ follower Uh, but then we come to this good samaritan and he's the hero Uh, it's not convenient to help somebody it wasn't convenient for him he had to uh, check the guy over and he could have been robbed himself if he had paused like that and and the guy is all bloody he's a mess that can't be pleasant He picks him up, puts him on his donkey, and that means he has to walk the rest of the way, takes him to an inn, 
puts him in a room and pays for it. I mean, he went to a lot of trouble. It is a lot of trouble to help people. But I think it was a lot of trouble for Jesus to die on the cross for me as well. So the way of Christ is to be a hero like the Samaritan. Um, mm. And that might take many forms. Um, might, you know, it, it, again, the, uh, it's the aha moment for each individual. They may think about their own experience, their own life, what's going to happen to them next month or whatever, and think, ah, here's, this is going to be my Good Samaritan moment. I'm going to do this to help these people. Work in a food bank, work in a soup kitchen, give money to feed uh, children, uh, help somebody you know who's homeless or somebody who's maybe in the hospital and suffering, cheer them up, uh, whatever. But it, it'll be different for different people at different times. But he's the hero, the, the Samaritan. And of course, the fact that Jesus makes him a Samaritan, I think, was really galling to his audience because they don't like Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans are like the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. They're the same faith, essentially, but they despise one another. So the Jews despise the Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. So when he made the Samaritan the hero, that was really galling to his audience. <laughs> and he mm. often did that to them to make them, again, think about it. You know, there are good people among the Samaritans, too. Uh, so uh, it's a fantastic sorry again one of these masterpiece uh, stories that he has told uh, but we had to think about the haters the heartless and the hero uh, not just the hero it's a, it's a story about for all of us which, which am I am I a hater am I going online to kind of juice up my resentment and anger uh, if I'm doing that every day that's not a Christian emotion you know, mm. you, need to, you need to avoid that. The book of Proverbs says, do not hang around people who are angry all the time. And there's a reason for that, because you'll become just like them. Mm. Um, don't go to those websites. Swear off those groups if they're just constantly making you mad. Are you a hater? Are you, are you heartless? I mean, one guy, one Christian guy told me we were looking at TV together and they were showing some little children in a country in Africa who were really thin and he said, well, that's just nature's way of thinning out the overpopulation. Oh, that's just not a, Christian, no. it's not a Christian response. These are human beings made in the image of God. We don't thin out human beings. No. <laughs> we help them. Mm. Uh, so that's the challenge. Which category am I in? And of course, we're all in each category from time to time. But mm. I, I hope we're primarily like the Samaritan Amen. Well, I think, you know, scripture says that the heart of most will grow cold, you know, uh, especially in the end times. But I think it is one of those things that it can be something as simple as busyness that precludes us from pausing long enough to care, you know. Uh, and so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sinister motive, though really, you know, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it's such a good reminder. David, it has been a joy to discuss these pairs with, par parables with you. Uh, there's so much in here that I wish we could have more time. But is there something you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to leave them with a general admonition to stay in the scriptures. The scriptures are like um, mm. a, a pure spring of water 
that uh, flows into a stagnant pond. But without the scriptures, the church becomes stagnant, stinky, and and not you know an old uh, bog. But the scriptures are like the spring, bringing in nourishing oxygen and uh, cleansing, cleansing out the the refuse from the pond. The church needs the scriptures. We individually need the scriptures uh, to be in a constant state of reformation and sanctification. Uh, without the scriptures, I think we all grow stagnant. We think, well, I've studied that. But as you point out, each time you return to these favorite texts, they teach you something new because you're in a different stage of your life and you've had different experiences. Uh, so I like to encourage people, stay in the word, stay in the scriptures. Don't think you've learned it all. Nobody has. Uh, you will see the scriptures in a in a way differently uh, today than you did 10 years ago. I, I was reading Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, recently mm. for, for the second time. Mm-hmm. And of course, she she grew up in a family that studied the Bible a lot. They knew they knew the Bible very well. But in the concentration camp, in the Nazi camp, she uh, said each evening they would have a little Bible study time. And she said when she went to retrieve that little New Testament, often her hands would be shaking because the scriptures had become a living thing for her. It had become an awesome experience. She had read she was reading the Bible in a whole different way. Uh, in that circumstance. And I, that's what I hope and pray will be the case for all of your listeners today. Well, amen. You know, and I recently was reading that story of Corey Ten Boom as well. I, I read um, a testimony she provided of when several years after she made it out of the concentration camp, she ran into one of her captors while she was speaking. And um, he asked for her forgiveness And she just so vividly described how, oh, she didn't want to forgive, but she knew in Christ she must. And I think really this is what the parables are all about. Yes, in our natural, we don't really want to do the right thing, and we can't apart from Christ. But the parables reveal our need for a new kingdom paradigm, a new way of operating, and God is able to accomplish that with us. Yeah, well said. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us, David. And uh, I just pray the best for your book. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Seeing Deep podcast, where we dive into the word of God for the answers to life's problems. (laughs) 